You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. D-R-O-M-E-D-A-R-Y Dromedary Cigarettes The smoke with only one hum Friends, have you tried new, improved dromedary cigarettes? Smokers all over the country are singing the praises of D-R-O-M-E-D-A-R-Y, dromedary cigarettes, the smoke with only one hump. Ask a dromedary smoker and he'll tell you that dromedaries are a light smoke, easy on the draw and easy on the throat. Here's one now. Sir? Sir, are you a dromedary smoker? Yes, I smoke between two and three packs of dromedary a day, and I find them to be very easy on the draw and easy on my throat. And how long have you been smoking dromedary, sir? Since I was 16 years old. Well, the makers of dromedary cigarettes thank you for your many faithful years of business, sir. And how old are you now? 17. Remember, friends, dromedary cigarettes are easy on the draw, easy on the throat, and not a cough in a cartoon. Sorry, that's carton. Dromedary cigarettes, the smoke with only one hump. Not a cough in a cartoon. That's carton. D-R-O-M-E-D-A-R-Y. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. The life of a small town as told through its many deaths. Today on Chatterbox Audio Theater. Hi everyone, this is Bob Arnold, Executive Director of Chatterbox Audio Theater, and I'm here with the second in our 12 shows in 12 months initiative. This is one we have been working on for a long time, and I'm really excited to be sharing it with you. It is part one of Edgar Lee Masters' classic poem cycle, Spoon River Anthology. Before I get started, I want to mention that as of this recording, we are about 70% of the way funded on our first ever crowdfunding campaign. So I told you last month we are trying to raise $4,000, just 4000 bucks from our listeners and our fans in order to support this 12 shows in 12 months campaign. So we were a good chunk of the way there, and I want to say a heartfelt thanks to the people who have made donations so far, and I will be thanking you by name later in the podcast. But 70% of the way means we still have 30% of the way to go, so we still need your support. If you have not made a gift yet, visit chatterboxtheater.org slash Indiegogo. That's chatterboxtheater.org slash I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O to show your support for what we're doing here by making a contribution at any level. We'll be happy for whatever support you can throw our way. Uh, Just make sure to do it before our deadline of December 6th. And in fact, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving is now called Giving Tuesday. It's kind of a national response to Black Friday. So it's a chance to uh, show some support for the nonprofit that you enjoy. So if you haven't given, that would be a great day to do it. I also want to say thanks to the people who submitted scripts under our open call for script submissions. We got a lot of great scripts. We got way more than we can use. So we're going into the review process right now, and we will keep you posted with what happens with that. After the show, stick around and I'll have a preview of next month's release. For now, thanks again for listening, and welcome to Spoon River. Chatterbox Audio Theater with support from Karen Strawn, presents Spoon River Anthology by Edgar Lee Masters, Part One. The Heel 
Where are Elmer, Herman, Bert, Tom, and Charlie? The weak of will, the strong of arm, the clown, the boozer, the fighter. All, all are sleeping on the hill. One passed in a fever. One was burned in a mine. One was killed in a brawl. One died in a jail. One fell from a bridge toiling for children and wife. All, all are sleeping, sleeping, sleeping on the hill. Where are Ella, Kate, Mag, Lizzie and Edith, the tender heart, the simple soul, the loud, the proud, the happy one? All, all are sleeping on the hill. One died in shameful childbirth, one of a thwarted love, one at the hands of a brute in a brothel, one of a broken pride in the search of heart's desire. One after life in far away London and Paris was brought to her little space by Ella and Kate and Mag. All, all are sleeping, sleeping, sleeping on the hill. Where are Uncle Isaac and Aunt Emily and old Towny Kincaid and Seven Ye Hutton and Major Walker? who had talked with venerable men of the revolution. All, all are sleeping on the hill. They brought them dead sons from the war and daughters whom life had crushed and their children fatherless, crying. All, all are sleeping, sleeping, sleeping on the hill. Where's old Fiddler Jones, who played with life all his 90 years, braving the sleet with bared breast, drinking, rioting, thinking neither of wife nor kin, nor gold, nor love, nor heaven. Lo, he babbles of the fish fries of long ago, of the horse races of long ago at Clary's Grove, of what Abe Lincoln said one time at Springfield. Hard putt. Here I lie close to the grave of old Bill Pearsall, who grew rich trading with the Indians, and who afterwards took the bankrupt law and emerged from it richer than ever. Myself, grown tired of toil and poverty, and beholding how old Bill and others grew in wealth, robbed a traveler one night near Proctor's Grove, killing him unwittingly while doing so for which I was tried and hanged. That was my way of going into bankruptcy. Now we who took the bankrupt law in our respective ways sleep peacefully side by side. Ollie McGee. Have you seen walking through the village a man with downcast eyes and haggard face? <laughs> that is my husband who by secret cruelty never to be told robbed me of my youth and my beauty, till at last, wrinkled and with yellow teeth and with broken pride and shameful humility, I sank into the grave. 
But what think you gnaws at my husband's heart? The face of what I was, the face of what he made me, these are driving him to the place where I lie. In death, therefore, I am avenged. Fletcher McGee. She took my strength by minutes. She took my life by hours. She drained me like a fevered moon that saps the spinning world. The days went by like shadows. The minutes wheeled like stars. She took the pity from my heart and made it into smiles. She was a hunk of sculptor's clay. My secret thoughts were fingers. They flew behind her pensive brow and lined it deep with pain. They set the lips and sagged the cheeks and drooped the eye with sorrow. My soul had entered in the clay, fighting like seven devils. It was not mine. It was not hers. She held it, but its struggles modeled a face she hated, the face I feared to see. I beat the windows, shook the bolts. I hid me in a corner, and then she died, and haunted me, and hunted me for life. Robert Fulton Tanner. If a man could bite the giant hand that catches and destroys him, as I was bitten by a rat while demonstrating my patent trap in my hardware store that day, but a man can never avenge himself on the monstrous ogre life. You enter the room, that's, that's being born, and then you must live, work out your soul. Aha! The bait that you crave is in view, a woman with money you want to marry, prestige, place or power in the world. But there's work to do and, and things to conquer. Oh, yes, the, the wires that screen the bait. At last you, you get in. But you hear a step. The ogre, life, comes into the room. He was waiting and heard the clang of the spring to watch you nibble the wondrous cheese and stare with his burning eyes at you and scowl and laugh and mock and curse you, running up and down the trap until your misery bores him. Cassius Eufa. They have chiseled on my stone the words, His life was gentle, and the elements so mixed in him that nature might stand up and say to all the world, This was a man. Those who knew me smile as they read this empty rhetoric. My epitaph should have been, Life was not gentle to him, and the elements so mixed in him that he made warfare on life in the which he was slain. While I lived, I could not cope with slanderous tongues. Now that I'm dead, I must submit to an epitaph graven by a fool. Sir Mason, my life's blossom might have bloomed on all sides, save for a bitter wind which stunted my petals on the side of me which you in the village could see. From the dust I lift a voice of protest, my flowering side you never saw. Ye living ones, ye are fools indeed, who do not know the ways of the wind and the unseen forces that govern the processes of life. 
Amanda Barker. Henry got me with child, knowing that I could not bring forth life without losing my own. In my youth, therefore, I entered the portals of dust. Traveler, it is believed in the village where I lived that Henry loved me with a husband's love. But I proclaim from the dust that he slew me to gratify his hatred. Constance Hately. You praise my self-sacrifice, Spoon River, in rearing Irene and Mary, orphans of my older sister, and you censure Irene and Mary for their contempt for me, but praise not my self-sacrifice and censure not their contempt. I reared them, I cared for them true enough, but I poisoned my benefactions with constant reminders of their dependence. Chase Henry In life I was the town drunkard. When I died, the priest denied me burial in holy ground. The witch redounded to my good fortune. <laughs> For the Protestants bought this lot and buried my body here, close to the grave of the banker Nicholas and of his wife Priscilla. Take note, ye prudent and pious souls of the cross currents in life which bring honor to the dead who lived in shame. Harry Carey Goodhue You never marveled, dullards of Spoon River, when Chase Henry voted against the saloons to revenge himself for being shut off. But none of you was keen enough to follow my steps or trace me home as Chase's spiritual brother. Do you remember when I fought the bank and the courthouse ring for pocketing the interest on public funds? And when I fought our leading citizens for making the poor pack horses of the taxes? And when I fought the waterworks for stealing streets and raising rates? And when I fought the businessmen who fought me in these fights? Then do you remember... That staggering up from the wreck of defeat and the wreck of a ruined career, I slipped from my cloak my last ideal, hidden from all eyes until then like the cherished jawbone of an ass, and smote the bank and the waterworks and the businessmen with prohibition, and made Spoon River pay the cost of the fights that I had lost. Judge Summers How does it happen, tell me, that I, who was most erudite of lawyers, who knew Blackstone and Coke almost by heart, who made the greatest speech the courthouse ever heard, and wrote a brief that won the praise of Justice Breeze, how does it happen, tell me, that I lie here, unmarked, forgotten, while Chase Henry, the town drunkard, has a marble block topped by an urn, wherein nature in a mood ironical, has sown a flowering weed. Kinsey Keene Your attention, Thomas Rhodes, President of the Bank, Coolbow Whedon, Editor of the Argus, Reverend Pete, Pastor of the Leading Church, A.D. Blood, several times Mayor of Spoon River, and finally all of you, Members of the Social Purity Club. Your attention to Cambrone's dying words, standing with the heroic remnant of Napoleon's guard on Mount Saint-Jean at the battlefield of Waterloo, when Maitland, the Englishman, called to them, Surrender, brave Frenchmen! 
There at the close of day with the battle hopelessly lost and hordes of men, no longer the army of the great Napoleon, streamed from the field like ragged strips of thunderclouds in the storm. While what Cambrone said to Maitland, ere the English fire made smooth the brow of the hill against the sinking light of day, say I to you, and all of you, and to you, O world, and I charge you to carve it upon my stone. Benjamin Pantier Together in this grave lie Benjamin Pantier, attorney at law, and Nig, his dog, constant companion, solace, and friend. Down the gray road, friends, children, men and women, passing one by one out of life, left me till I was alone, with Nig for partner, bedfellow, comrade in drink. In the morning of life, I knew aspiration and saw glory. Then she, who survives me, snared my soul with a snare which bled me to death, till I, once strong of will, lay broken, indifferent, living with Nig in a room back of a dingy office. Under my jawbone is snuggled the bony nose of Nig. Our story is lost in silence. Go by, mad world. Mrs. Benjamin Pantier. I know that he told that I snared his soul with a snare which bled him to death. And all the men loved him, and most of the women pitied him. But suppose you are really a lady, and have delicate tastes, and loathe the smell of whiskey and onions, and the rhythm of Wordsworth's ode runs in your ears, while he goes about from morning till night repeating bits of that common thing. Oh, why should the spirit of mortal be proud? Oh. And then, suppose, you are a woman well endowed, and the only man with whom the law and morality permit you to have the marital relation is the very man that fills you with disgust every time you think of it, while you think of it every time you see him? That's why I drove him away from home, to live with his dog in a dingy room back of his office. Reuben Pantier. Well, Emily Sparks, your prayers were not wasted. Your love was not all in vain. I owe whatever I was in life to your hope that would not give me up, to your love that saw me still as good. Dear Emily Sparks, let me tell you the story. I passed the effect of my father and mother. The milliner's daughter made me trouble, and out I went in the world, where I passed through every peril known of wine and women and joy of life. One night, in a room, in the Rue de Rivoli, I was drinking wine with the black-eyed cocotte, and the tears swam into my eyes. She thought they were amorous tears and smiled for the thought of her conquest over me. But my soul was three thousand miles away in the days when you taught me in Spoon River. And just because you no more could love me, nor pray for me, nor write me letters, the eternal silence of you spoke instead. 
and the black-eyed cocotte took the tears for hers, as well as the deceiving kisses I gave her. Somehow, from that hour, I had a new vision. Dear Emily Sparks. Emily Sparks, where is my boy, my boy, in what far part of the world? The boy I love best of all in the school. I, the teacher, the old maid, the virgin heart who made them all my children. Did I know my boy aright? Thinking of him as a spirit aflame, active, ever aspiring. Oh, boy, boy for whom I prayed and prayed in many a watchful hour at night. Do you remember the letter I wrote you of the beautiful love of Christ? And whether you ever took it or not, my boy, wherever you are, work for your soul's sake, that all the clay of you, all the dross of you, may yield to the fire of you, till the fire is nothing but light, nothing but light. Trainer the Druggist Only the chemist can tell, and not always the chemist, what will result from compounding fluids or solids, And who can tell how men and women will interact on each other or what children will result? There were Benjamin Pantier and his wife, good in themselves but evil toward each other. He oxygen, she hydrogen. Their son, a devastating fire. I, trainer, the druggist, a mixer of chemicals, killed while making an experiment. Lived unwedded. Daisy Frazier Did you ever hear of Editor Whedon giving to the public treasury any of the money he received for supporting candidates for office? Or for writing up the canning factory to get people to invest? Or for suppressing the facts about the bank when it was rotten and ready to break? Did you ever hear of the circuit judge helping anyone except the Q Railroad or the bankers? Or did Reverend Pete or Reverend Sibley give any part of their salary earned by keeping still or speaking out as the leaders wish them to do to the building of the waterworks? But I, Daisy Frazier, who always passed along the street through the rows of nods and smiles and coughs and words such as, there she goes, never was taken before Justice Arnett without contributing $10 and costs to the school fund of Spoon River. Benjamin Frazier. Their spirits beat upon mine like the wings of a thousand butterflies. I closed my eyes and felt their spirits vibrating. I closed my eyes, yet I knew when their lashes fringed their cheeks from downcast eyes and when they turned their heads and when their garments clung to them or fell from them in exquisite draperies. Their spirits watched my ecstasy with wide looks of starry unconcern. Their spirits looked upon my torture. They drank it as it were the water of life with reddened cheeks, brightened eyes, the rising flame of my soul made their spirits guilt, like the wings of a butterfly drifting suddenly into the sunlight. 
and they cried to me for life, life, life. But in taking life for myself, in seizing and crushing their souls, as a child crushes grapes and drinks from its palms the purple juice, I came to this wingless void where neither red nor gold nor wine nor the rhythm of life are known. Minerva Jones I am Minerva, the village poetess, hooted at, jeered at by the yahoos of the street for my heavy body, cock-eye and rolling walk, and all the more when Butch Weldy captured me after a brutal hunt. He left me to my fate with Dr. Myers, and I sank into death, growing numb from the feet up, like one stepping deeper and deeper into a stream of ice. Will someone go to the village newspaper and gather into a book the verses I wrote? I thirsted so for love. I hungered so for life. Indignation Jones You would not believe, would you, that I came from good Welsh stock? that I was purer-blooded than the white trash here, and of more direct lineage than the New Englanders and Virginians of Spoon River. You would not believe that I had been to school and read some books. You saw me only as a run-down man with matted hair and beard and ragged clothes. Sometimes a man's life turns into a cancer from being bruised and continually bruised and swells into a purplish mass like growths on stalks of corn. Here was I, a carpenter, mired in the bog of life, into which I walked thinking it was a meadow, with a slattern for a wife, and poor Minerva, my daughter, whom you tormented and drove to death. So I crept, crept like a snail through the days of my life. No more you hear my footsteps in the morning, resounding on the hollow sidewalk, going to the grocery store for a little cornmeal and a nickel's worth of bacon. Dr. Myers. No other man, unless it was Doc Hill, did more for people in this town than I. And all the weak, the halt, the improvident, and those who could not pay flocked to me. I was good-hearted, easy Dr. Myers, I was healthy, happy, in comfortable fortune, blessed with a congenial mate, my children raised, all wedded, doing well in the world. And then one night, Minerva, the poetess, came to me in her trouble, crying. I tried to help her out. She died. They indicted me. The newspapers disgraced me. My wife perished of a broken heart. And pneumonia finished me. Mrs. Myers. He protested all his life long. The newspapers lied about him villainously, that he was not at fault for Minerva's fall, but only tried to help her. Poor soul, so sunk in sin, he could not see that even trying to help her, as he called it, he had broken the law, human and divine. Passers-by, an ancient admonition to you. 
if your ways would be ways of pleasantness and all your pathways peace, love God and keep his commandments. Butch Weldy, after I got religion and steadied down, gave me a job in the canning works. And every morning I had to fill the tank in the yard with gasoline that fed the blow fires in the sheds to heat the soldering irons. And I mounted a rickety ladder to do it, carrying buckets full of the stuff. One morning, as I stood there pouring, the air grew still and seemed to heave. And I shot up as the tank exploded. And down I came with both legs broken. And my eyes burned crisp as a couple of eggs. For someone left a blow fire going. And something sucked the flame in the tank. The circuit judge said whoever did it was a fellow servant of mine. And so old Rhodes' son didn't have to pay me. And I sat on the witness stand as blind as Jack the Fiddler. Saying over and over... I didn't know him at all. Nolt Holheimer I was the first fruits of the Battle of Missionary Ridge. When I felt the bullet enter my heart, I wish I had stayed at home and gone to jail for stealing the hogs of Curl Ternary instead of running away and joining the army. Rather a thousand times the county jail and a lie under this marble figure with wings and this granite pedestal bearing the words Pro-Patria. What do they mean, anyway? Lydia Puckett Nolt Holheimer ran away to the war the day before Curl Trenary swore out a warrant through Justice Arnett for stealing hogs. But that's not the reason he turned a soldier. He caught me running with Lucius Atherton. We quarreled, and I told him never again to cross my path. Then he stole the hogs and went to the war. Back of every soldier is a woman. Frank Drummer Out of a cell into this darkened space, the end at twenty-five. My tongue could not speak what stirred within me, and the village thought me a fool. Yet at the start there was a clear vision, a high and urgent purpose in my soul, which drove me on trying to memorize the Encyclopedia Britannica. Harry Drummer Do the boys and girls still go to Seavers for cider after school in late September, or gather hazelnuts among the thickets on Aaron Hatfield's farm when the frosts begin? For many times with the laughing girls and boys played I along the road and over the hills when the sun was low and the air was cool, stopping to club the walnut trees standing leafless against a flaming west. Now, the smell of the autumn smoke and the dropping acorns and the echoes about the veils bring dreams of life. They hover over me. They question me. Where are those laughing comrades? How many are with me? How many in the old orchards along the way to Seavers and in the woods that overlook the quiet water? Conrad Seaver. Not in that wasted garden where bodies are drawn into grass that feeds no flocks and into evergreens that bear no fruit, 
There where along the shaded walks vain sighs are heard and vainer dreams are dreamed of close communion with departed souls. But here, under the apple tree, I loved and watched and pruned with gnarled hands in the long, long years. Here under the roots of this northern spy to move in the chemic change and circle of life into the soil and into the flesh of the tree and into the living epitaphs of redder apples. Dock Hill. I went up and down the streets, here and there by day and night, through all hours of the night caring for the poor who were sick. Do you know why? My wife hated me, my son went to the dogs, and I turned to the people and poured out my love to them. Sweet it was to see the crowds about the lawns on the day of my funeral and hear them murmur their love and sorrow. But, oh, dear God, my, my soul trembled, scarcely able to hold to the railing of the new life when I saw M. Stanton behind the oak tree at the grave, hiding herself and her grief. Andy, the Night Watch In my Spanish cloak and old slouch hat and overshoes of felt and tyke, my faithful dog, and my knotted hickory cane. I slipped about with a bull's eye lantern from door to door on the square, as the midnight stars wheeled around and the bell in the steeple murmured from the blowing of the wind. And the weary steps of old Dock Hill sounded like one who walks in sleep, and a far-off rooster crew. And now another is watching Spoon River, as others watched before me. And here we lie, Doc Hill and I, where none breaks through and steals, and no eye needs to guard. Sarah Brown Maurice, weep not. I am not here under this pine tree. The balmy air of spring whispers through the sweet grass. The stars sparkle and whippoorwill calls. But thou grievest while my soul lies rapturous in the blessed nirvana of eternal light. Go to the good heart that is my husband, who broods upon what he calls our guilty love. Tell him that my love for you, no less than my love for him, wrought out my destiny, that through the flesh I won spirit, and through spirit, peace. There is no marriage in heaven, but there is love. Percy Biss Shelley My father, who owned the wagon shop, and grew rich, shoeing horses, sent me to the University of Montreal. I learned nothing, and returned home, roaming the fields with Bert Kessler hunting quail and snipe. At Thompson's Lake, the trigger of my gun, caught in the side of the boat, and a great hole was shot through my heart. Over me a fond father erected this marble shaft, on which stands the figure of a woman carved by an Italian artist. They say the ashes of my namesake were scattered near the pyramid of Caius Cestius, somewhere near Rome. Flossy Cabinus From Bindle's Opera House in the village to Broadway is a great step, but I tried to take it 
my ambition fired when 16 years of age seeing East Lynn played here in the village by Ralph Barrett, the coming romantic actor who enthralled my soul. True, I trailed back home a broken failure when Ralph disappeared in New York, leaving me alone in the city. But life broke him also. In all this place of silence, there are no kindred spirits. How I wish Dusa could stand amid the pathos of these quiet fields and read these words. Julia Miller We quarreled that morning, for he was sixty-five and I was thirty, and I was nervous and heavy with the child whose birth I dreaded. I thought over the last letter written me by that estranged young soul, whose betrayal of me I had concealed by marrying the old man. Then I took morphine and sat down to read. Across the blackness that came over my eyes, I see the flickering light of these words even now. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Johnny Sayer Father, Thou canst never know the anguish that smote my heart from my disobedience. The moment I felt the remorseless wheel of the engine sink into the crying flesh of my leg. As they carried me to the home of Widow Morris, I could see the schoolhouse in the valley to which I played truant to steal rides upon the trains. I prayed to live until I could ask your forgiveness. And then your tears your broken words of comfort. From the solace of that hour I've gained infinite happiness. Thou wert wise to chisel for me, taken from the evil to come. Charlie French Did you ever find out which one of the O'Brien boys it was who snapped the toy pistol against my hand? There, when the flags were red and white in the breeze, and Bucky Estel was firing the cannon brought to Spoon River from Vicksburg by Captain Harris. And the lemonade stands were running and the band was playing. To have it all spoiled by a piece of a cap shot under the skin of my hand. And the boys all crowding about me saying, You'll die of lockjaw, Charlie. Sure. Oh dear, oh dear. What chum of mine could have done it? Zenus Wit. I was 16 and I had the most terrible dreams and specks before my eyes and n n nervous weak weakness. And I c couldn't remember the books I read, like Frank Drummer, who m memorized page after page. And my back was weak, and I worried and worried. And I was em em embarrassed and stammered my lessons and when I stood up to recite I, I'd forget everything that I had studied well 
I saw Dr. Weiss's advertisement, and there I read everything in print, just, just as if he had known me. And about the dreams, which I couldn't help. So I knew I was marked for an early grave. And I worried until I had a cough. And then the dream stopped. And then I slept the sleep without dreams, here on the hill by the river. Theodore the Poet As a boy, Theodore, you sat for long hours on the shore of the turbid spoon, with deep-set eyes staring at the door of the crawfish's burrow, waiting for him to appear, pushing ahead, First his waving antennae like straws of hay, and soon his body colored like soapstone, gemmed with eyes of jet. And you wondered in a trance of thought what he knew, what he desired, and why he lived at all. But later your vision watched for men and women hiding in burrows of fate amid great cities, looking for the souls of them to come out so that you could see how they lived, and for what, and why they kept crawling so busily along the sandy way where water fails as the summer wanes. The Town Marshal The Prohibitionists made me town marshal when the saloons were voted out, because when I was a drinking man before I joined the church, I killed a Swede at the sawmill near Maple Grove, and they wanted a terrible man, grim, righteous, strong, courageous, and a hater of saloons and drinkers to keep law and order in the village. And they presented me with a loaded cane with which I struck Jack McGuire before he drew the gun with which he killed me. The prohibitionists spent their money in vain to hang him, for in a dream I appeared to one of the twelve jurymen and told him the whole secret story. Fourteen years were enough for killing me. Jack McGuire. They would have lynched me had I not been secretly hurried away to the jail at Peoria. And yet I was going peacefully home, carrying my jug, a little drunk, when Logan the Marshal halted me, called me a drunken hound and shook me, and when I cursed him for it, struck me with that prohibition-loaded cane. All of this before I shot him. They would have hanged me except for this. My lawyer, Kinsey Keene, was helping to land old Thomas Rhodes for wrecking the bank, and the judge was a friend of Rhodes and wanted him to escape. And Kinsey offered to quit on Rhodes for 14 years for me. And the bargain was made. I served my time and learned to read and write. Dorcas Gustine. I was not beloved of the villagers, but all because I spoke my mind and met those who transgressed against me with plain remonstrance, hiding nor nurturing nor secret griefs nor grudges. That act of the Spartan boy is greatly praised, who hid the wolf under his cloak, letting it devour him uncomplainingly. It is braver, I think, to snatch the wolf forth and fight him openly, even in the street amid dust and howls of pain. The tongue may be an unruly member, 
but silence poisons the soul. Berate me who will, I am content. Nicholas Bindle Were you not ashamed, fellow citizens, when my estate was probated and everyone knew how small a fortune I left? You who hounded me in life to give, give, give to the churches, to the poor, to the village, me who had already given much. And think you not, I did not know that the pipe organ which I gave to the church played its christening songs when Deacon Rhodes, who broke and all but ruined me, worship for the first time after his acquittal? Jacob Goodpasture When Fort Sumter fell and the war came, I cried out in bitterness of soul, O glorious republic now no more, when they buried my soldier son to the call of trumpets and the sound of drums, my heart broke beneath the weight of eighty years, and I cried, O son who died in a cause unjust, in the strife of freedom slain. And I crept here under the grass. And now, from the battlements of time, behold, thrice thirty million souls being bound together in the love of larger truth, wrapped in the expectation of the birth of a new beauty, sprung from brotherhood and wisdom. I, with eyes of spirit, see the transfiguration before you see it. But ye infinite brood of golden eagles nesting ever higher, wheeling ever higher, the sunlight wooing of lofty places of thought. Forgive the blindness of the departed owl. Harold Arnett I leaned against the mantel, sick, sick, thinking of my failure, looking into the abysm, weak, from the noonday heat. A church bell sounded mournfully far away. I heard the cry of a baby and the coughing of John Yarnell, bedridden, feverish, feverish, dying. Then the violent voice of my wife, watch out, the potatoes are burning. I smelled them. Then there was irresistible disgust. I pulled the trigger. Blackness. Light. Unspeakable regret. Fumbling for the world again. Too late. Thus I came here. With lungs for breathing. One cannot breathe here with lungs, though one must breathe. Of what use is it to rid oneself of the world when no soul may ever escape the eternal destiny of life? Margaret Fuller Slack I would have been as great as George Eliot, 
but for an untoward fate. For look at the photograph of me made by Pennywit, chin resting on hand and deep-set eyes, gray, too, and far-searching. But there was the old, old problem. Should it be celibacy, matrimony, or unchastity? Then John Slack, the rich druggist, wooed me, luring me with a promise of leisure for my novel. And I married him, giving birth to eight children and had no time to write. It was all over with me anyway when I ran the needle in my hand while washing the baby's things and died from lockjaw, an ironical death. Hear me, ambitious souls. Sex is the curse of life. George Trimble Do you remember when I stood on the steps of the courthouse and talked free silver and the single tax of Henry George? Then do you remember that when the peerless leader lost the first battle, I began to talk prohibition and became active in the church? That was due to my wife, who pictured to me my destruction if I did not prove my morality to the people. Well, she ruined me, for the radicals grew suspicious of me, and the conservatives were never sure of me, and here I lie unwept of all. Dr. Siegfried Eisenman I said when they handed me my diploma, I said to myself, I will be good and wise and brave and helpful to others. I said, I will carry the Christian creed into the practice of medicine. Somehow the world and the other doctors know what's in your heart as soon as you make this high-souled resolution. And the way of it is they starve you out, and no one comes to you but the poor. And you find too late that being a doctor is just a way of making a living. And when you are poor and have to carry the Christian creed and wife and children all on your back, it is too much. That's why I made the elixir of youth, which landed me in the jail at Peoria, branded a swindler and a crook by the upright federal judge. Ace Shaw. I never saw any difference between playing cards for money and selling real estate, practicing law, banking, or anything else. For everything is chance. Nevertheless, seest thou a man diligent in business? He shall stand before kings. You have been listening to part one of Chatterbox Audio Theater's production of Spoon River Anthology by Edgar Lee Masters, featuring the voices of Levi Frazier Jr., Tim Greer, Gina Juleson, Bill Andrews, Kenan Keplinger, Barry Fuller, Amy Salerno Hale, Jennifer Henry, Jane Harris, Andy Saunders, Adam Del Conte, Tony Isbell, Michael Gravois, Grant Hatton, Kim Justice, Marcus Brown, Amy Mays, Brent Davis, Mandy Lane, Jerry Dye, Kel Christie, Jim Palmer, Bo List, 
Lyric Peters Malkin, Chris Jowers, Mike Hanrahan, Aliza Moran, Sumner Jenkins, Bennett Wood, Ron Gephardt, Jason Spitzer, Kevin Murphy, Karen Strawn, Matt Reed, JoLynn Palmer, Lee Bryant, Stephen Garrett, Spencer Cotham, Harrison Sale, Chuck Hodges, Aaron Jones, Matthew Cruz, Ann Sharp, Bill Short, Jim Eichner, Stephen Brown, Pamela Paletti, Kendall Karcher, Billy Pullen, and Mark Strawn. Music by Luis Seixes. Original artwork by John Childress. Sponsored by Karen Strawn. Produced by Eric Sefton. Directed by Robert Arnold. Hi, this is Karen Strawn. I've been supporting Chatterbox since 2007, and I'm especially proud to be sponsoring this show in particular, where I get to share the stage with my dad. The mission of Chatterbox Audio Theater is sparking imaginations through outstanding theatrical recordings. Download our shows, meet our cast and crew, and find out how you can become a supporter like me at www.chatterboxtheater.org. And that's our show. Thanks again to our very talented and very large cast. And thanks again to Karen for your sponsorship and all your support. That's our first trip to Spoon River. We're going to be going back there periodically. So when we record the next 50 poems in this cycle, which will happen in the spring of 2016, we are planning to cast the project with open auditions. So if you are in the Memphis area and you like this project and you are interested in participating in this project, make sure that you are subscribed to our email newsletter. Make sure you are following us on social media and you will get a heads up when those open auditions are announced. I mentioned earlier that we're about 70% of the way funded on our crowdfunding campaign. So I want to say thanks to the people who have gotten us this far. First of all, at the show sponsor level, Karen Strawn, who of course sponsored today's release, and the Levitt family. Next, at the patron level, Andrew Allred and Curtis Bickers. Thank you, gentlemen. At the sustainer level, Jeffrey Adams, Betty and Hugh Dilly, Ron and Karen Gephardt, Christopher Goddard, Deborah Hyatt, Billy Pullen, John Sexton and Katie Thomas, Wendy Sumner Winter, Kalki Winter and Virginia Grace Winter, and Stacy Wright and Jim Thompson. At the enthusiast level, Travis Flournoy, Timothy Hyde, Diane Halfon, David Mickle, Todd and Lori Miller, Marina Pacini and David McCarthy, and Catherine Whitfield. At the supporter level, Christopher Abreu, Mallory Kane and Michael Nuttall, Andrea, Jay, and Amelia Fletcher, Fred Greenhalge, Shannon King, Fernando Martinez, Matt Rantanella, Lindsay and Steve Wright, and a nice gift in honor of David Mickle. And finally, at the friend level, Joy Bishop, Christine Bowles, and Michael Toll and Jennifer Henry. So thanks again to all those folks for showing their support by making a gift. You know, everything that we do here, we do with volunteers. Chatterbox is 100% labor of love. So to have people out there who are listening and who are interested and supportive enough to make a gift, to give a donation to us, that really means the world to us. Thanks again. Up next. Chatterbox travels back to mythical Greece, where five Athenian youth will be locked in a maze with a monster. Someone help me, please! Please! I don't want to go! Don't be afraid, Sophia! No! Don't be afraid! They're intended as sacrifices, but these sacrifices will not go quietly. We'll rush through the doorway. Hippatia, stay right. Nicomedes left, and I'll run with a torch into the room's center. Perhaps we can disorient it long enough to get a clear look. And then get away. You may think you know the story, but do you really know what happens when those labyrinth gates are closed? Next up on Chatterbox Audio Theater, the classic Greek myth, 
Theseus, and the Minotaur. That's coming up soon. In the meantime, remember, we've got more than 48 hours of original audio theater on our website, chatterboxtheater.org, as well as on our iTunes feed. So if you're traveling over the holidays, go ahead and load up your phone with Chatterbox. We've got a lot of great stories that'll get you through those long road trips. That's all for now. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Chatterbox Audio Theater. The Mutual Audio Drama Network where we listen and imagine together.